eight professors in seminary, wrote a book, and the, the thesis of this book, the idea of this book, was laying out that the, the main theme of Scripture was the idea of this kingdom of God and uh, the story of this kingdom of God, of God establishing this and, uh, and how man interacts with it and man's acceptance into the kingdom of God. And that story starts back in Genesis. And in Genesis, we know God creates the earth, uh, creates man, creates a helper for him, joins them together. But then man introduces sin. He, he was given an instruction, don't eat from this tree. And instead of listening to God, instead he rebels and eats from the tree, violates the command that God had given him, violates the will of God. And by doing so, he introduces sin into this world. And in doing so, he brings a curse upon mankind. He brings a curse not just on man, but also the entire world, that we can see the effects of this curse go out. And we know, well, in Genesis 3, 14, uh, God speaking to the serpent says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go dust, you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so he introduces this cursing and says, you know, death has been brought into the world and it's both a, a physical death and a spiritual death. One where man is going to certainly face death at the end of a life rather than living forever, that he's also going to experience sickness and illness and weakness. And, and then there's also a spiritual death in that the relationship with God is broken. The relationship with husband and wife is broken. The relationship with families is broken. And, and so this curse reaches out and affects everything within the earth and within man and how he lives. But there's that hint that in the future, serpent, your head is going to be bruised by the offspring of this woman. And so they're given this glimpse of hope that this offspring will come to bring redemption, to usher in something new. And so then as we move forward, then God grabs Abraham and he makes a covenant with Abraham. And this is a, a unilateral covenant. It's a covenant that doesn't require anything necessarily from Abraham. It's God saying to Abram that you go to this land and I'm going to do this for you. And so Abraham places his faith in God and follows his instruction. And the main thing you, you need to know about that covenant, this covenant with Abraham promised him that he was going to receive land, that he was going to receive offspring, that he was going to be made this great nation, and then finally that there was going to be blessings that were going to go out, not just to Abram's offsprings, but also to the entire world. And so we see the curse that's introduced in Genesis, that death is going to come, spiritual, physical death, is going to be reversed through this blessing that's going to come through the line of Abraham. And then Israel, in slavery to Egypt, is brought out of slavery, given their freedom, and now they're this great nation. There's all this offspring, and they're starting to move towards the other part of that covenant promised to Abraham to go receive the land. But on their way there, they stop at Mount Sinai. 
And at Mount Sinai, God then makes another covenant. And this covenant He makes with Moses, He makes with Israel. And it's not just a unilateral covenant. It's not a, a covenant that is only on God, but it also requires obedience from Israel. And God says to Israel, here's my law, here's my instructions for how I want you to live as a nation, as my chosen people, this is how I want you to live. And he hands out this law to them. And he says, if you follow this law, then you're going to receive blessings. You're going to receive land and you'll receive riches and nobody will be able to conquer you. But if you violate this law, then you're going to receive cursings and you're going to face judgment that's going to come from me. As we move down in time, we know he makes a covenant with David and narrows the the line of blessing down to the line of David, to a future king, and ultimately we get to Christ, who is that fulfillment that's going to bring that blessing. Most students of the Old Testament, one commentator says, that the understand that the heart of the Old Testament is the law that is in Deuteronomy. And that law that's in Deuteronomy finds its heart in Deuteronomy 27 through 30. In Deuteronomy 27 through 30, he lays out all the blessings and all the curses. It's this list of, if you follow my instructions, here's the blessings, here's the rewards that I'm going to to give to you, Israel. And if you violate that, then here's the cursings and the judgment that I'm going to bring to you, Israel. And so what's happened in Joshua, we've already been through Joshua 1 through 7, and starting in chapter 5 of Joshua, all the way through our passage today, the author lays out this paradigm for what it looks like to receive blessings and what it looks like to receive cursings. We see in Joshua 5 and 6 that they partake in the sacraments of the covenant and start to receive the blessings of that. They cross over the river, not of their own doing. They go, they conquer Jericho, again, not of their own doing, but they receive that blessing because of their obedience and their faith. Yet, we saw last time in chapter 7 that there was one person that disobeyed, that violated the instructions and kept certain things for himself that belonged to God. And so then Israel starts to receive the cursing at that point. They start to receive judgment because of the disobedience of Achan. And so they purge the sin from their camp. They bring judgment on Achan. And we get to the point today in Joshua chapter 8 where now we get to see the flip side. You had blessings. You sinned. You received cursing. Now you return to obedience and you're going to receive blessings again. So let me read all the way through chapter 8 of Joshua just so we can see how this story plays out here. And then what we're going to do is we're going to walk our way back through and we're going to see this blessing and this cursing and how do they come to us? How does this blessing and cursing then interact with us? What controls this blessing and cursing? So let me read chapter 8 for us. It says, And Yahweh said to Joshua, Do not fear, do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you, rise Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, and his people, his city, and his land. 
you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only the spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai. Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night, and he commanded them, Behold, you shall go lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but of all you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And we come out against just as before, we shall flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, they're fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city for Yahweh your God and give it into your hand. As soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of Yahweh. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out. They went out to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night among the people. Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed their forces, the main encampment that was to the north of the city and its rear guard to the west of the city. But Joshua spent the night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place toward the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. Joshua and all of Israel pretended to be beaten before and fled into the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. As they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Then Yahweh said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in ambush arose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven. And they had no power to flee this way or that. For the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all of Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city, that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And others came out from the city against them, so they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was none left that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all of the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness, where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin 
until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of the city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of Yahweh that he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it to the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones which stands there to this day. So here we have Israel coming back and finding victory over Ai, where in chapter 7 they had lost to them, had men die at the hand of Ai. Now they've conquered the city, conquered all the inhabitants, taken the plunder from it. And you think this is the time for a great celebration, or this is the time to move on to another battle. But then suddenly, in the narrative, we're ripped away from this battle story, and we're sent over to this completely new setting. It's almost like you're, you're watching a show at night on TV, and all of a sudden they interrupt your TV show, breaking news. And the newscaster comes on to give you this breaking news and completely interrupts the story, the TV show that you were watching. And that's what happens here. And in this interruption, we see that we're taken miles away from the city of Ai to Mount Ebal. And it says in verse 30, at that time, Joshua built an altar to Yahweh, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal just as Moses, the servant of Yahweh, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to Yahweh and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel's Sojourner, as well as native-born, with their elders and officers, their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of Yahweh, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. So we're, we're ripped away from the battle at Ai to Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim, and this valley, and the nations split, and they're read all the blessings and all the cursings that were listed in the law. As this reminder to them, if you're obedient to me, you're going to receive blessings. If you're disobedient to me, you violate my law, you're going to receive curses. And they had just seen this go from one extreme to the other and then back again. The blessings at Jericho, the cursings at the first loss to Ai, and then the blessings return with their victory over Ai. So what do we learn about blessing and cursings from this chapter? One, blessings come from being aligned with the will of God. Yeah, the instructions to Israel was follow my law, follow my will, 
the instructions that I have given to you, if you align yourself with that, if you follow that, then you will receive blessings. And he says at the beginning of 8, because don't be misunderstood. The difference between the victory in chapter 8 and their loss in chapter 7 is not a better strategy, more rest that they had, better weapons. It's none of that. They didn't go about it wrong in chapter 7, conquering the city. They couldn't conquer the city because they had sin within their camp. Once the sins purged from their camp, they find victory in chapter 8. So it's not that they were able to reset and come up with a better plan and they only conquered it because of this ambush. Not at all. Chapter uh, 8, at the beginning, it says, Yahweh said to Joshua, do not fear be dismayed. I have given into your hand the king of Ai. I've given to you the people of Ai. And I've given to you the city of Ai and the land that it resides on. You're going to go take all this. And so we see that blessings come from being aligned, from following the will of God. And so when you place yourself in opposition to that, the other option is to receive cursing. Second, we see that blessings from God are abundant and generous. They got into the sin in chapter 7 because Achan saw a nice robe, saw some gold, and he coveted it. He wanted it for himself. But if he had just sat and wait and let God have what was God's, they would have gone to Ai and he would have received livestock and all the plunder from that city. Because at Ai, God says to him, I'm going to give this city into your hand. And all the spoil and its livestock is going to be you. It's going to be yours for you to take. All they had to do was wait. But Achan got greedy and his covetousness overwhelmed him and he stole from God. So blessings from God are abundant and generous. You don't need to shortchange God. You don't need to steal from God to receive better blessings. He's going to give you more than you can deal with, more than you can handle if you're aligned with His will. This is the same thing that the serpent in the garden attacks, right? It it goes to to Eve and says, well, is that really what God told you? And he doesn't focus on the blessings that they receive. You know, by following God's instruction, Look at everything that you have. You don't don't have to work hard. You have food. You have a great partner. You have a God that you can talk with, that you're in a relationship with. No, he bypasses all the blessings and just focuses on, what are you missing? What has God not given you? What do you not have? Oh, you can fill that hole by your own actions, not by listening to God. Eat from this, and then you're going to gain knowledge. And it's the same way. So understand that blessings from God are abundant and generous. Third, blessing and cursings find their ultimate conclusion in life versus death. So blessing and cursing find their ultimate conclusion in life versus death. So often we look at Israel and the blessings and the cursings that they receive and we only look at the temporal things. You know, that, oh, they, they went to AI, they lost, and then they go back to AI, they win, and they get all these blessings of 
know, the spoil and the livestock and all of that. But ultimately, those are just temporary things. At the end of the day, blessings and cursings find their conclusion in life versus death. You see, the blessing for Israel was, yeah, you're going to get all this stuff. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you these physical things. But ultimately, you get to live. You're going to live. If you violate it, you're going to face the cursing and you're going to die. And that promise of blessing and cursing that you'll find life or you'll find death and the cursing is not just restricted to Israel. I mean, this is what was passed down back in Genesis. You had life before sin, sin's introduced, now you face death. But I'm going to offer you life in the future through this promised Messiah. We get here to chapter 8, we see Israel facing death because of cursing, now facing life, living through the battle of Ai. But we see the, the king of Ai, he faces judgment. They bring him, they kill him, and then they hang him on a tree. He doesn't hang on, it's not hanging on the tree that kills this king, but rather he's killed before, then he's hung on the tree. And we go, well, that seems harsh. But we go back. You remember, I said the heart of Deuteronomy was this blessings and the cursings that are listed there. And in that, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, says, If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile the land that your Lord, your God, is giving you for an inheritance. You see, the body wasn't cursed by God because he was hanging on a tree. He's hanging on the tree because he's cursed by God. Because God's judgment came upon him, he faced death, he died, and he hung on a tree as a sign of the cursing that he received from God. All men die. All of us face that part of the curse. But he was a curse because he rejected the law of God. He saw the law of God in creation, and he heard the law of God through the exploits of Yahweh with Israel. We go back and remember when he, the, the spies met Rahab, Rahab says, we know all about you. We know all about your God, Yahweh. We heard everything about you. Her response was to reach out in faith and she receives blessing. The king of Ai rejects it, rejects the creation, rejects the special revelation of Israel, and faces death and is cursed because of it. And this is the, the, the thing that becomes difficult because as we move forward, we think so much of blessings and cursings is all these other things, which are, but ultimately, at the end of the day, the most important fact about blessing and cursing is the difference between life and death. Leviticus 18, 24-26, says, Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these nations I am driving out before you to become unclean. And the land became unclean. 
that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. So he explains, if you pursue sin, you pursue a violation of my will, you're going to face judgment like those in the land are going to face judgment because of their sin. On the other hand, on blessings, my statutes, my rules, you're not going to do any abomination. That's not just for you, Israel, but that's also for the stranger who sojourns among you. Rahab comes in, she doesn't receive salvation because now she's traveling with Israel. She receives salvation because of the faith that she places in God. And then, because she loves God, and because she follows God, then she starts to follow His will, and she receives blessing. Because of her faith. Then fourth, blessings and cursings are connected to God's covenant promise. You see that at the end. That he finally lays out again, Israel gathered together. I want you to listen as we read through the blessings and the curses. And they're not separated from the covenant. It's not just this list of rules and instructions, but it's this covenant that I made with you, that I demand of you, that I'm desiring from you to follow my instructions to place your faith in me. Go through the, the last couple of verses, 34 and 35. You see this, this word all. It's used five times over and over again. It's all encompassing. This covenant is not just focused on Israel. The covenant of Abraham is focused on the entire world that if they want to receive blessing, it's going to be through the Messiah that was promised. They look for blessings elsewhere, and they face the judgment of God. Israel is going to go through this over and over and over again. They listen to God, they receive blessing, they reject God, they receive cursing. Brought back, they accept God, they receive blessing, back to cursing. So, what are we to do with this today then? So the problem with application of a passage like this is some people will take this and they'll say, God wants to bless your life. I'm a Christian. He wants to give you blessings. He wants to make you rich. He wants to make you healthy. He wants to, to give you great relationships. All of these things. And as long as you're obedient to him and you do what he asks and you trust in him, you're going to receive all those blessings. And if you don't receive those blessings, then obviously you're doing something lacking and you're receiving cursing. This is the same advice and direction that Job's friends gave him, right? Well, Job, obviously there's some sin. What are you doing? This didn't just happen because it's happening. It, obviously you've done something. And there's some people that carry that forward. And they'll look at this and they'll say, look, he told Israel... If you listen to me, I'm going to give you victory over things. I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you all of these things. And they'll look to grab hold of that same type of blessing. But we miss the point. 
That's what we're looking at. The curse of sin is not that you're poor, that you don't have a nice house, that you don't have good relationships. That's not the curse of sin. The curse of sin is that you are going to die. That you're going to die a physical death, that you're going to face sickness, that you're going to face illness, that you're going to face a fight with the world, that you're going to struggle to farm, that, that work is no longer easy, that it's difficult. You've faced a spiritual death in that your relationship with God is broken and that your relationship with other people is broken. And the escape from the curse is never based on the righteousness of man. See, Israel didn't escape the curse because they were righteous and they did all the right sacrifices and they did everything good and didn't ever disobey. That's not what brought them salvation. That's not what brought them out from under the curse. What brought them out from under the curse is their placing of faith in God, in Yahweh, that he was going to fulfill the covenantal promises that he made to them. In those covenantal promises, he explained to them, here's my will. If they're going to have faith in him, it's expressed then through following his will. See, the promise in the garden is for a future offspring from woman to be the redeemer, be the one that brings us out from under the curse of sin. You move forward, the promise to Abraham, the covenant to Abraham, is in a future offspring from Abram's line that's going to then bless the entire world. It's going to bring the ability to, to move out from under the curse and into the blessing through this offspring of Abraham. The covenant that Moses, that God made with Moses and Israel at Sinai is made with Israel. See, God didn't make the covenant at Sinai with you. He didn't make it with Crossland. He made it with Israel. And in that covenant that he makes with Israel, he lays out, here's the law. Here are the things that are happening. And this is what I'm going to do as long as you follow my law. We're, no, we're no, not under that covenant. We're not Israel. We're different than Israel. We receive blessings of the covenant of Abraham. But the covenant made to Moses in Israel, at Sinai, is not made with us. We're under a different covenant, right? So let's go back now and think of this in more of a New Testament mindset. And what does this look like as we go back through the points of the passage and those ideas of blessing and cursing? So starting with the last one, blessing and cursing are connected to God's covenant promise. The blessing and cursings that we receive today are not based on the covenant that he made with Israel at Sinai, Rather, it's the covenant that he makes in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That's that Mosaic covenant. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. 
I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know Yahweh. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So he says, I'm going to make this new covenant. And in this new covenant, no longer are we going to do the things that we were doing in the covenant that I established at Sinai. That's not what is going to guide going forward in the future. And so you hit Jesus then. Jesus comes, and at the Passover... He says, this is the new covenant that I'm introducing. So at this point, that Jeremiah 31 covenant starts to come into play. When you're looking for blessings and cursings, don't go to Joshua 8 and say, oh look, he promised that as long as we're obedient, we're going to receive riches. As long as we're obedient, we're going to receive health. Uh, We're going to receive all these things promised in the Mosaic covenant. Because the Mosaic Covenant was not made with you. In fact, the New Covenant in Jeremiah that's made with Israel that then comes to us through Christ that we receive blessings. So our blessings then are connected to the New Covenant. The blessings and cursings can't be separated from the Covenant. And they have to be focused on that. And so if you start trying to look back at some other covenant, you violated the instructions that God gave. Next, blessing and cursings find their ultimate conclusion in life versus death. The blessing and cursings find their ultimate conclusion in life versus death. Turn with me to Hebrews. Go ahead and turn there because we are going to end up in Hebrews for a minute. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews spends its time going through this idea of the old covenant versus the new covenant, the the new Messiah versus the old sacrifices, and how the new covenant is better and fulfills the old covenant, and how we're no longer under that old covenant. Hebrews 9, 11 through 12 says, But when Christ appeared as the high priest of good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by the means of blood and goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So he looks back and he says, the old covenant... You went through all these sacrifices. And all these sacrifices that you did, all it did was deal with temporal things, with earthly things. Now, the new covenant is through Christ and his sacrifice, and it secures what? Eternal redemption. It can be worded another way, as eternal life, right? This is the difference between blessing and cursing is death. Here in the New Covenant, blessing is eternal redemption, eternal life. Cursing is eternal death. Not receiving life. 
He goes on in chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. He says, Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once, bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So when you enter into the new covenant, you don't go immediately to heaven. You're still here on earth. You're still living here. But your life now is one, not of just living as the world does, but you're living as one that's eagerly awaiting the return of Christ. Eagerly awaiting for the fulfillment of the blessings promised in the new covenant. Goes on in chapter 10. Start to see that blessings from God are abundant and generous. Before we looked at they have victory, they have life, they get gold and all these things. See, goes on in Hebrews 10. We see that for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered each year, Make perfect those who draw near. The old covenant, the old law, the old system that was set up at Sinai was temporary. And it was a shadow of what was to come. Not just a shadow of the redemption, but a shadow of all of the good things. So you look at Israel gaining land and riches and, and all of these things. That's merely a shadow, a foresight of what is to come of the blessings that you're going to receive. But those blessings are not just earthly blessings. He continues on in verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Only spirit, spirit also bears witness for us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I'll put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. So here comes Christ, and he says, I'm the salvation, I'm the one that brings the blessing, that brings you out from under the curse of sin, not just for the church going forward, but for all mankind going back to Adam and Eve. Retroactively and future. My sacrifice, Christ says, is for all of mankind. So their obedience back in Joshua is not salvation. Their obedience is through faith in the promised Messiah, which was Christ, whose death on the cross worked backwards to forgive them. Their obedience was them living out, trusting in God, believing in God. And they had temporal, earthly blessings that came from their obedience. But it wasn't their salvation and their moving out from under the curse of death. That came through Christ. Blessings that were promised, not earthly riches, things like that, rather were promised justification, that your legal liability for sin has been removed, that you no longer have to go face God and account for all of your sins. 
that Christ accounted for your sins and made the payment that you needed to. So now, no longer do you have to have a broken relationship with God. That relationship that was broken in the garden, part of that curse, is now starting to be mended. And you're able to have a relationship with God. And at some point, we're able to go stand in front of him, stand in his presence, and not be struck down, not be an anathema. Sanctification. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer bound by our fleshly desires. We're able to resist those things and pursue after the will of God. We're also promised glorification. That no longer in the future, after we die, that we're going to be glorified, we're going to receive new bodies that aren't going to be tainted, contaminated with sin. Because of that, we no longer have to worry about breaking our relationship with God. Our relationship with other men is going to be healed. Our relationship with the earth is going to be healed. There's going to be work in heaven, and it's not laborious. It's not boring and difficult and backbreaking, but it's good, fulfilling work. We're going to have relationships with other people. There's still nations and such in heaven, but those nations no longer are at war with each other, fighting each other, trying to kill each other. Now they're repairing. And then we receive eternal life. No longer does death hold power over us. We may face a first death, but we're not going to face an eternal death. We don't have to face eternal judgment. This is not to say that we have no earthly blessings from being a part of the blessing, being saved through Christ. Again, we go back to sanctification. I mean, sin brings bad things into your life, right? And so we can avoid those things. We can flee from those things. We can be free from guilt. You've sinned in the past. Every one of us has sinned. But you no longer have to live going forward, beating yourself up over that sin, trying to make payment for that sin, feeling bad over that sin. You have freedom from that guilt. It's been paid for you. We receive the blessing of the church. He says as much in Hebrews. As he goes through, he says, don't neglect the gathering of other believers. This is part of the blessing. Why would you reject the family that God's placed you in a part of? The support that you can receive. Spiritual gifts are another blessing that we receive here on earth. Marriage and family. And it's not the broken vision of a marriage and family, but it can be a, a true version of marriage and family that God desires. And then just our day-to-day blessings, the food that we receive, the air that we breathe, everything that goes on in our life, all those things, we can look to God as blessings. But most critically, we escape death. The difference between the cursing and the blessing is death. You cursing, you die under blessing, and you live. And then the first thing or the last thing the blessings come from being aligned with the will of God. In Hebrews 10, 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, we have confidence in the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. For our hearts sprinkled clean from evil and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more to see. You can see him there. You receive light. You no longer have to have guilt. You no longer have to you can approach God now with a clean heart, with full confidence. You can do good works now. You've been sanctified. No longer do you have to, to struggle with your sin. And then you have the church, those that come alongside you. So you see all of these blessings that are rolled in Hebrews that are part of that new covenant. In Hebrews 11, the author goes on to show that it's not your good works, it's not the good things that you've done, it's never been that way. You go back to Abram, you go back to Rahab, they weren't saved because of their good works, they were saved because of their faith. Their faith was evidenced through their good works, their faith was shown through their good works, their good works didn't bring them salvation. And as he starts to wrap things up in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and lets us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, when we're looking at blessing and curses, we're working under a little bit of a different paradigm than Israel was, in the fact that they were given a special covenant at Sinai that laid out an entire law for them. We're not under that law. Their requirements were follow the law and you'll receive earthly blessings. Reject this, you're going to receive earthly death. But on a broader scale, they were also under the new covenant and under the covenant to Abram that if you place your faith in God, you place your faith in the Messiah to come, you'll receive life. If you reject the Messiah to come and try and find your salvation elsewhere, you're going to face death. And that's what we have today. And that's why we go and evangelize, because we view it as an eternal life or death situation. It's not just a comfort here on earth right now. It's not just something I'll take care of in the future. But it is, do you want to face life eternally or do you want to face judgment? Do you want to be like Rahab, accepted into the family of God because of your faith, and then following the will of God through your obedience? Or do you want to be like the king of Ai, the people of Ai, they're dragged out of their city and cut down by Yahweh's judgment because of their sin. And go on to face eternal judgment. That's the path that God laid out for Israel. That's the path of, that God laid out for all of the Gentile groups in, in Canaan. And it's the same option and choice that he lays out for this world today. You're to seek blessings through Christ or you seek person. There's only two options. Let me close this in